to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 76, recorded February 16th, 2012. Yep, so this is uh, our third year of our 1990s series. So we start off with issue number 25 uh, all the way to 27 of the original series, volume right. 2. Exactly. They're back in the cool movie uniforms. Yep. Yeah, we got a little... Uh, off track with the Modella business, but uh, now we're back into the normal uniforms. Right. And this is a rather long story arc, and so far I'm enjoying it. How about you? I do like it. I think it's pretty good. Very good. And again, going back to uh, Starfleet Academy. We just don't seem to be able to get away from it lately. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was funny that this came out right after the, the annuals, and I was kind of hoping that it would tie in, but as we'll see here in a minute, it doesn't nada it dona but uh that that's uh that's that's for a minute or two from now there you go so shall i begin yeah let's do it excellent issue number 25 is titled class reunion and its published date is november 1991 creative team is howard weinstein penciler is gordon purcell letters by bob pinaha inker is arnie star colorist tom mccraw and dean of students Robert Greenberger. I think I copied that over from, uh, from, from last week. Anyway, he is the editor. The cover shows an interesting collection of our favorite Star Trek Taz crew members looking very happy with what appears to be old friends from Starfleet Academy days. They are apparently in a room at the Academy with the Golden Gate Bridge in the background. You can see it through the window. The story opens with Sulu, Chekhov, Scotty, and Ahura all questioning how he could not be going. McCoy is directly asking he, who turns out to be Jim Kirk, and where turns out to be the Starfleet reunion of the year. My God, Jim, everyone will be there. Kirk says he never said he wasn't going, but rather he might not go. They go on for two pages where Kirk gives mediocre reasons for not going and Bones tells him why he should go. In the end, Kirk says he's not going and McCoy leaves saying Jim's a big boy and does not have to go anywhere he does not want to go. Ohura, Chekhov, and Sulu show up at Spock's doorway, asking if he knows for sure whether Kirk will be going or not. Spock says no and it's none of his business. In the end, they tell Spock that they will not go if Kirk does not go, but they really would rather go and include Kirk, too. They ask Spock to speak to him, but he suggests that maybe if the people who really want him to go so badly spoke to him, that it would be more effective. So they leave Spock's quarters and show up at Kirk's quarters. When Kirk finally finds out that they will not go unless he goes, he relents and says that he will go. Meanwhile, at Starfleet Academy, an attractive lady named Victoria Lee receives a call from an ensign reporting that the Enterprise has entered orbit 
but there is still no confirmation whether Captain Kirk will be attending. She thanks the ensign and thinks to herself that Kirk must attend the reception, but she can't try to force him or the element of surprise will be lost. Back on the Enterprise, a lovely young Starfleet officer named Nina Popov materializes on the transporter pad. Chekhov greets her and introduces her to Ohura and Sulu. They chit-chat a bit, then it comes out that Nina is not only going to be visiting, rather she has been assigned to an internship on the Enterprise. Congratulations all around. Especially since it turns out that Nina is Chekhov's niece. A lovely young lady, and apparently Chekhov uh, used to babysit for her when she was much younger, obviously. As Chekhov is taking her to her quarters, she makes it clear that she finds Mr. Sulu very cute. A perplexed and slightly irritated Chekhov says he never thought of Sulu that way. In a separate conversation, Sulu tells Uhura that he finds Nina very cute. On their way down to Earth to do some sightseeing, Uhura and Sulu bump into Chekhov and Nina, who is coming up with her luggage. Chekhov protectively states that Nina will be his date to the party, and Sulu states to Uhura that Nina is cute again. Ohura responds, saying, and she's a doctor who could take care of Sulu in his old age. Elsewhere, McCoy's sudden declaration he is not going to the reunion party throws Kirk off his game until Spock offers to pass the time with McCoy up on the ship. Kirk sees the opening and orders Spock not to let McCoy out of his sight. McCoy doesn't like that at all and agrees to go to the party. Chekhov and Nina have a two-page discussion that confirms Nina does not have a boyfriend, and she thinks of herself as an awkward, ugly duckling. Easy pickings for Mr. So Smooth Sulu. Chekhov tells her she is too serious and makes her promise him to have fun at the party. Kirk and the gang arrive at the party later. Kirk bumps into Captain Stiles, and they trade some low-yield insults. Kirk bumps into Savik unexpectedly and suggests that Spock would enjoy seeing her up on the ship. Kirk finally bumps into the knockout blonde Vicky that we met earlier. Her long black dress accentuates her assets, and Kirk definitely knows her from the past. Sulu dances with Nina. McCoy joins Kirk and Victoria Lee Keegan and finds out Kirk and Victoria both graduated from the Academy together and that they served together on the Farragut. Kirk helped convince Victoria to marry her husband. McCoy is intrigued with the idea of Kirk being a matchmaker, so he asks to learn more. Between Kirk and Vicky, they tell the story of how the two young Starfleet officers were assigned as liaisons to a young citizen of the planet Pilkor III. His name was Tred Keegan, and he was on a three-month exchange program to help their people learn more about the Federation and Starfleet as they were evaluating the possibility of joining the Federation. As time went on, Vicky and Tred became more than friends, and were eventually married, aboard the Farragut by Captain Garovic. Unfortunately, the new Pilcoran leadership was overthrown, and the old isolationists took power. That ended their application to the Federation. 
Tread turned out to be a nobleman from a wealthy family with plenty of influence. He vowed to use his family's influence to convince the new rulers of the planet to get back to a more open society and join the Federation. He and Vicky left Starfleet and returned to Pilcor III. While trying to do all that, Tread died. Vicky says he was murdered, and she needs Kirk's help to prove it. Kirk says he wants to help, but he has no knowledge of Pilkerin laws. Since they did not join the Federation, Starfleet has no jurisdiction there. He says Vicky was married to a citizen and lived on Pilkor III for 30 years, so it's different for her, but for him, he has no legal standing there. She says that is where Kirk is wrong, and tells him since they had no children, and according to Tread's will, Kirk is the sole inheritor of all his possessions, his land, his title, and his wife. Kirk goes cross-eyed with confusion when Vicky tells him, matter-of-factly, that she is all his. <sighs> to be continued. Wow. Wacky. That's crazy. It's a surprise ending. Yeah. So uh, he finally he... got married, but this is the way he does it. <laughs> he... It's, ba- it's backing into it, I'll tell you. <laughs> to quote uh, Troy from a few months ago, he's getting sloppy seconds. Oh, 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 that's not very nice to say. It wasn't then either. I still don't understand why that was in that book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Troy. Oh, I'm surprised. I thought you were a nice girl. Anyway. Anyways, uh, yeah, so this one was pretty good setup, I think, for uh, what will ultimately be four issues, uh, miniseries or series. Yes, it is a good launching point. What's nice about it is it's at the launching point that has some somewhat interesting things going on. Although I must say, the whole thing of Nina and Chekhov being protective and Sulu robbing the cradle, uh, I'm not as interested in that storyline, I gotta say. Yeah, that was kind of oogie, man. I oogie. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word. I like that. I, I don't need to see Sulu hooking up with some straight out of. Is she seemed like she was straight out of the academy? Yeah, I mean she's a full fledged doctor, so she right must be a little older than that, but still, but still look at her. I mean she and she still refers herself. I mean she sounds like she's almost like a like, like an awkward teen or right. something. So, inexperience in the ways of love, or so it sounds. Yeah, and they draw her very youthful-like, but then they draw everybody that way. <laughs> well, everybody's more youthful than they should be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's it's weird that Ahura is the only one that they seem to have aged. I well, mean, she's She got has to... the gray hair. Exactly, but that's about it. I mean, she's got a thin figure. Right. Well, I mean, she was pretty thin when she was doing the little fan dance in Star Trek. Film. Oh my lord, she was not. Oh no. Oh no. She was behind those fans for a reason. Do you think she was behind those fans? Uh, that's what I thought. Mm. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was really her. Oh, well, I didn't think you could see anything. Of course, I will admit I haven't seen Star Trek Five that many times. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. I'll have to go back and look. I thought she was. I thought the fans were in front of her. The fans were in front of her, but I'm. Yeah. But I, they only they only show her in like silhouette. 
until the dudes get right up on her, and then they show a close-up of her face when she pulls the phaser out. Right. But uh, I always thought that it wasn't her doing the dance. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe. But uh, who knows? A body double? A body double? That's what I always <laughs> thought. Yeah. Anyways. So it was nice seeing Savick. If however short, yes. And uh, and the the uh, Curtis. What was her first name? Robin Curtis. Robin Curtis. The Robin Curtis version. Yeah, I don't think they've ever drawn a Christy Alley version of Savick except for in that IDW spot reflection miniseries that we did way back. Remember that one? I think it was like one of our yeah first yep. few episodes. I don't remember necessarily that it was the Christy Alley version, but uh, sure, cool. I think it was. Yeah. Anyways, I, I like seeing her here, and this I think is her first appearance in the the comic books after Star Trek Three, or actually Star Trek Four. So, right. Which she may or may not have had a kid after Star Trek Four. They don't reference it here, but. Uh, ah. At one time, that was a uh, a plot point that was being entertained. Oh, really? And whose was it? Uh, Spock's, when she helped him get through the pond far. Ah! <laughs> you know, helped him. Yeah, helped him. Helped him. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a carnal sort of way. Interesting. Anyways, I always liked Savick, so it was good to see her here. Right. It's so matter-of-fact. But we didn't see her much after that. I mean, she you she popped in, you see her, and she pops back out again. Yep, she's on the cover, and then two random pages in the in the comic itself, and that's it. Or actually, just one page. Excuse me. Yeah, I have a question. Okay. Did Styles hit Kirk's hand drink hand with his riding crop? I think he just laid it across his hand. Okay, I don't but, think... it, but it but it looks like either either Kirk is dropping the glass. Or for some reason, going to grab the glass? I don't know. Well, he was picking up a glass, and and then while he was picking it up, Styles puts the riding crop on his hand. Puts it on his hand, in a loving way. Well, just as a, hey, I'm right here, dude. <laughs> and we're about to have some witty banter. Exactly. So, in regards to that, did you th- did you get the feeling that he's still in command of the Excelsior? Uh, I didn't get that. I didn't get that impression. Okay, because you know, Kirk says I seem to remember your beloved Excelsior wasn't in peak operating condition not too long ago. So I kind of got the feeling that he was still in oh, command still on it. Huh. Which that could work. But we saw a few a few issues ago that one that was written by Peter David and Bill Mummy right. that he was in charge of a, a different ship. Yep. So I didn't know if this. Counter contradicted that if uh, that issue, or if if I'm reading too much into it. Well, sometimes it's difficult to tell exactly what time periods some of this stuff takes place in, or at least remember from issue to issue. Well, that's so why. I really that's why know. I remember. I remember issue fourteen. Well, then tell us. He, issue fourteen. He was not captain of the Excelsior. Here, it implies that he is. Just saying. Uh, right, but the time period of when those books took place is not always clear to me. Well, I do definitely agree that he was not Captain of the Excelsior. Well, these, I think, are in issue. chronological order unless they're 
you know, unless they specifically say it's a flashback. Right. Okay. So 14 before 25. He okay. Should be but a lot of these are standalone yeah. stories, too. They don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. Written yeah. by different people. I'm just saying, unless they're wearing blue shirts and yellow shirts, it's it's supposed to be chronological. Right. Cool. Anyways, and, and it and never says. Me, it it looks say like still Captain, so maybe right. they'll talk about that when Sulu gets the ship here in an ep- issue or two, I'm sure. I doubt it. <laughs> maybe. It could be. You well, could have read some of them, but... Yeah, well, they're definitely ramping up towards that inevitability. I mean, since right. since Star Trek VI did come out in December right. of this month, so so they already know that 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 they're going to have to write him into that ship sooner or later. Maybe they'll stop start dropping hints. Maybe. <laughs> I think it's just going to be interesting to see how much the. Uh the comics even bother to be a be a prequel to the books that are coming or the movies that are coming out that'd be yeah. cool uh, they will i mean we'll see it next issue well okay the only thing we see is where sulu gets the bug to be captain right that's well, all we see we'll we'll get into it next issue not the issue i read other than he gets the bug to be. No, captain. I said you and I. We can talk about it next issue. Oh, okay. Let's, let's focus on twenty four right now, or twenty five. Excuse me. Cool. Um, I like Ahura's uh, joke about Nina being a doctor and young enough to take care of Sulu in his old age. Yep, that was. I good. thought that was good. I liked it. She's very sarcastic through all these issues, uh, <laughs> which is good because in some ways she seems kind of. Um, I don't know. Kind of on the periphery of things. Yeah, she actually has a part that actually moves the story along somewhat. It's also kind of filler, but it's entertaining filler. A lot of other people are like interacting with each other a little bit more closely, where where to me it just seems like Ohura is kind of like floating around the, uh, you know, through the story, of course, and involved in some of the, I mean, she does hang out a lot with Sulu. But it seems like he's really kind of preoccupied with his latest young conquest. It was good to see her, though. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Interacting with some new characters. You're getting ahead of yourself. I am. Let's move on. <laughs> what else What else do you have for this? I think uh, Vicky's pretty hot, but man, look at the hair. She's got big hair. That's 80s hair. 90s hair. That is, well, and it's big. And and I agree with you. I mean, it was the time period, I suppose. But she's got, like, big Charlie's Angels hair. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it's funny that, that she, you know, she's obviously a very attractive lady that doesn't she's... look at all age-appropriate for Kirk. No. but I mean, Kirk... If they're supposed to be in the same graduating class. Exactly. And in a lot of scenes, Kirk looks far younger than he should. Well, that's that's just that's just a that's given, fine. I'm fine with that. I, I'm fine with that. It's just uh, 30 years out of Starfleet. I mean, yeah. You know, so that that puts her in her 50s. It's like she's looking good for 50s. <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. But that's really, all I had to say. I, uh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. But that's okay. Uh, speaking of her, real quick, did you notice that her on the cover? 
looks different than the way she's drawn throughout the rest of the book. Let's talk about the cover, shall we? Yes. This is another example where the folks doing the cover, I would guess, didn't necessarily see any of the artwork or maybe even read the story before they did the artwork. <laughs> Right. So I, I thought that the when I looked at the cover and it was like a class reunion type thing, you know, old friends, new friends, new adventures, new dangers. I really was excited because it had Savick there. Right. And I, who I thought was, um, oh, what was her name? Jillian. Um, what was her name on Star Trek IV? Uh, the, 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 the whale doctor. Yeah, her name was Gillian something. All right. Dr. Gillian Taylor. Something like that. Yeah, Gillian Taylor. Not Gilligan. Gillian. No, no. That would be anyways. a dorky guy's name. <laughs> so anyways, when I saw this, I was excited because I thought, oh, this will be Dr. Gillian's fir- uh, Gillian Taylor's first uh, uh, comic book appearance because right. she will be in a uh, a graphic novel that they actually advertise in one of these books uh, later. But uh, I thought, whoa, cool, this this came out before, so this is her first appearance. And then when you get to the book, it's not her. It's some old fling of his from years back. And not quite a fling, unless they did have something going on that they never admitted to. Well, Kirk has a fling with everybody that, that has <laughs> two-legs and blonde hair. Exactly. And uh, you thought it was uh, the Whale Doctor, Gillian, and I thought it was Carol Marcus because uh, she now I got to say, Kirk likes a certain type of woman (laughs) (laughs) and all three of them look similar. But uh, yeah, I I, I thought it was Carol Marcus. It's like, hey, Carol Marcus. Right. And then when they had the uh, you know, then when you find out when you started reading it, that it was a class reunion, I thought, oh, this will be cool because it'll have uh, Kirk meeting up with his ex-girlfriend Ruth that they referenced in oh. annual. And I was right. like, oh, this is set up for this, you know, because I even told you at the time, I thought that it was weird they kept mentioning Ruth right. and she has no ever been referenced again. And I thought, oh, he, Peter David was setting up this story by introducing this this old character. Nope. This has nothing to do with uh, that annual. No. And uh, and Carol Marcus being at a Starfleet reunion might have made some sense, too. But, uh, no, we don't see any of those. Actually, we don't see any of those folks that, I mean, ex- that, that Kirk went to uh, Academy with, except for this character who, did they even, they didn't even mention her name in that uh Peter David Starfleet I don't think one. She wasn't they? in it. No, she wasn't in it. I mean, she could have been one of the characters in the background. You don't know because they did show multiple females that they didn't necessarily get into what all their names were. But yeah, I mean that character was not explicitly introduced back then. Right. Yeah. Although she could have been one of the background people standing around. I don't know. She could have been, but if they knew that these two stories were going to be released so close to each other, they probably could have tied them together a little bit better. I think. Yeah, but they didn't because they seemed quite different. Right. Yeah. Uh, That was about all I have on this one. What else do you got? I've got a question. Okay. I would like to know who the redheaded girl is in the blue jacket, the non-Starfleet jacket, on the cover. She's prominently placed there. And I figured that was Nina, but she's not in a Starfleet uniform. 
yeah. I assumed it was Nina too, but yeah. You're right. She's wearing some blue leather jacket thing. Yeah, some kind of blue outfit. Uh, doesn't look Starfleet, but she does well, have red hair like Nina does. So. Well, and they got that that redheaded guy on there too. That that has no point. In the movie. Let's talk or, about him. Okay. Spock is standing right next to him. So uh, Spock never went down. He stayed up in the ship. So number one, Spock was on the on at the reunion according to the cover, but he wasn't in the book. Okay. And. I'm thinking Spock knows this this redhead guy who's just laughing up a storm. Or he's just looking at him disapprovingly uh, as he's laughing like that. And, okay, and I mentioned my theory to you before we started recording, but my theory is this. <laughs> I, I, got, I got a whole backstory here, man. All right, so, let's hear it. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just riffing because I'm just, just what I get from this picture. Because you got, you got this, this, this laughing guy, red hair, full of life, probably full of emotion and stuff. And you got Spock looking at him uh, either in a disapproving way or maybe in a uncomprehending way. Maybe he just told a joke. Maybe he's just, <laughs> you know, just, just drinking of the cup of life in a certain emotional way that Spock just really can't understand fully. But I think these guys were buds. They were like, <laughs> this was like a buddy movie back in Academy days. Perfect opposites, you know, cold, rational Spock, the vivacious, full-of-life, red-haired guy, and uh, <laughs> opposites buddied up here, and they continue to have that same kind of weird uh, dynamic. That's, uh, that's a good theory. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's what I say. Who's the artist who, who drew that cover? I, I bet. I bet. Anyway, I don't know. I, I just make stuff up. That's what yeah, I got of it. That's funny. That's yeah, funny, I just Ken. I just took it's it as that. It's total BS, but uh, yeah, funny. <laughs> I just took it as he was looking at the dude, kind of funny, you know, looking down his nose, like, oh, I don't think it was looking. You right. shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> you sh- you're at you're at a party. You shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, good point. And then uh, looks like McCoy is picking up on a green green skin chick. Is he picking her up, or is he have? Does he have his back to her? Well, okay. I don't think he has his back to her. I think they're both walking along in motion, and McCoy is a bit ahead of her. But they're they're not they're not terribly off pace. Right. That's what I got out of it. Hmm. Uh, Maybe he's taking her back to his room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Riff. Yeah, that was it. What's the design? That's it. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Okay. How about another one? We got Savik in the background, which is pretty cool. Somebody that was only in for like a page uh, makes it on the cover. It looks like she is looking at Kirk and and the whale scientist. And it's like, okay, that's fine. You know. Uh, yeah, I think you'd be more interested in Spock, who's down here. You're not looking at him, but okay, fine. Yeah, I don't know. And Sulu's there talking to somebody, somebody. off screen. Exactly. Who knows? Probably Uhura if the inside of the book has any say in it. But yeah, it's a cool cover. I like the cover. It just is a bit not in, in alignment with the with the book. With the story, right? Yeah. Yep, but it it got somebody to buy the issue for a dollar seventy five. I'm sure. As, as we've said before, the cover is a marketing thing, so <laughs> it just has to look good on the rack to get you to buy it. Exactly. Right. All right, sir, what else you got? I got nothing else. Nothing else. 
Nothing. All right. Well, then let's jump into issue number 26. Uh, this has a cover date of December 1991. Um, it is entitled Where There's a Will. And it has all the same uh, cast of characters, so we won't go through the, the credits. So the cover is actually pretty interesting. Um, the majority of the cover is taken up by the underside of the Enterprise. Uh, behind that, we can see various starships and space station. Um, and we can see that we're all we're uh, orbiting Earth. It's, it's a pretty cool shot. And then to the bottom and to the right side of the page is several little panels that each have like a headshot of various crew members of the Enterprise and, and then there's one of uh, Vicky and there's also one of Admiral N Nagoya. So pretty interesting cover. So you turn the page, turn the cover, and behind the cover is a full page ad for Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. Which states that it'll be coming out on star date twelve thirteen ninety one. Usually don't mention ads, but uh, that one really jumped out at me. I liked it. All right, so the story starts off with McCoy and Kirk um, being floored by the recent announcement that Vicky just dropped on them in last issue that uh, Kirk has been willed to Vicky as his wife. Uh, and then she draws some unneeded attention to herself by announcing to everybody that Kirk is now consort of the ruling ring on Pincor 3. So you can actually see people turning their heads at this, this big announcement. So sometime later in the Enterprise's briefing room, Vicky goes over some more details about her late husband's will. She explains that her husband was always a uh, very prominent for Pilcor to join the Federation, but the government and the people were always uh, for the isolationist movement that we talked about last issue. Then about four months ago, this is after 25, 30 years of marriage, about four months ago, her husband confides in her that he is uh, part of a group called the Bright Stars, which he actually helped found. Uh, and that they were creating a resistance to stand up against the government and to break their isolationist ways. Uh, the Bright Stars actually learned that the government had started sending uh, secret colonies off-planet. Uh, and this is obviously contrary to their um, public image. And her husband believed that the government was involved in something sinister. And all this happened just before he was uh, killed. Or died, whichever the case may be. Back on Earth, Sulu and Ahura are going to a local pub that they both visited during their different times at Starfleet Academy. Ahura is complaining that, that they're using recorded music, uh, you know, i.e. from a jukebox. She calls it elevator music. She recalls uh, the times that she was there and that they always had live music, and on occasion she sang there herself. Sulu confesses that he once worked there for a little extra pocket change one summer, and his feet never forgot it. Sulu asks the waitress if the owner is still the same, and is shocked to learn that his former classmate now owns the pub. As if on cue, the owner shows up and Sulu introduces him to Ahura. The owner claims to have remembered seeing Ahura singing there several years back. He is able to convince her to get up on stage right then and there and start singing a song. 
Back on the Enterprise, Vicky finishes her life story and tells them that she believes that her husband was killed. Also, she feels like Kirk is the key to discovering what her late husband knew. They talk a bit about Pelcor's resentment to outsiders and how hard it's been for Vicky to live there for the last couple of decades. But uh, Vicky assures them that everything is in order and the law actually supports her husband's will. And then Vicky shows her resourcefulness by planning ahead and states that she's already rented a private shuttle that for her and Kirk to return to Pilcor 3. Kirk says that he'll need time to think about it, and maybe he'll have to even clear it with Starfleet Command. Uh, they part company, and he says that he'll give her his decision in the morning. All right, so we flash back to Earth. Uh, Uhura and uh, Sulu are watching ships go under the Golden Gate Bridge. Sulu is very melancholy about not ever getting his own command. Uh, Uhura tells him to have a little faith, because she does. We flash to Kirk's bedroom. He's mulling around his options. He eventually contacts Admiral Nagoya's office and informs him that he's on his way. So now we're in Nagoya's office. We Nagoya offers Kirk a glass of OJ and maybe a muffin. He tells Kirk that he, he is cleared to go to Pilcor and that he's, while there, he's supposed to keep an eye out for possible Romulan activity in that area of unclaimed space. He also wants Kirk to be crystal clear that this is a fact-finding mission and that he is not to get dragged into any type of hostilities. Kirk arrives at Vicky's hotel. She opens the door wearing a very revealing nightie. He tells her that he is that they are ready to go as soon as she finishes packing. And then with a wry smile, she says that she's already packed, uh, or she packed as of last night, and they're ready to go. To be continued. Mm-hmm. She's ready to go. She looks like she's ready to go. Well, you know, she just can't. She just got out of bed wearing that thing. Exactly. Now, I couldn't quite figure out what that is. Is that, I mean, is it like a gown, meaning that it's not connected in the middle? Uh, or is it more like a bathing suit type thing? A lacy bathing suit bah! type thing. <laughs> I couldn't quite figure out what it was supposed to be. Well, it's a nightgown kind of sleep thingy teddy kind of thingy and then she's got a little short little pink bathrobe on over it uh, okay yeah well hey, regardless she looks good in it yeah she does she's got uh she's got uh she's has, she has very well drawn legs <laughs> yeah but she has that that bed head that you don't like the big hair that's i'll take it so <laughs> the the thing is, it does seem like she's uh, going out of her way to make herself attractive for the captain, I think. Well, he is her husband now, so why would she not? I'm just saying. She just seemed to I me, mean, she looked, she was absolutely ravishing at the uh, party, at the reunion party. And look at her now, even looking quite uh, nummy uh, in the morning. <laughs> I tell you. And I, think she's, I think she's baiting him. Come on, Kirk. Well, and she even, uh, you know, at the beginning of this issue, I didn't talk about it, but at, at, as soon as they get back on the Enterprise, she's still wearing her evening gown, mm-hmm. but she's wearing Kirk's jacket. 
you know. Oh yes, yeah. So I, I thought that so was funny, and it's was, just draped over her shoulders. It's not exactly. like she's actually wearing it. Yep, she was be he was being gallant. Is that it, or maybe he just didn't want everybody else on the Enterprise oogling his wife? <laughs> oogling, great oogling, oogling. No, I don't know. I want to try to use that word as much as I can in this podcast. Oogie, what? Oogling, oogie, you know the whole the whole oog family of words. Okay, okay, sounds good. <laughs> I, so, I, I, yeah, I like I liked how you 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 were using that for uh, for how Sulu was kind of freaking out, right? Going for the youngin. Um, Speaking of which, she's not in this issue at all, or even referenced. Yeah. Well, she but comes back in the next one. She'll so. come back in the next one. So in this one, last issue, Sulu was all mopey because he was kind of uh, in love with a younger girl. And in this one, he's all mopey because he never got a, his own command. So I think they're setting us up for something in the next uh, issue or two. And that's just me guessing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's cool that they've uh, they've definitely showing where he is um... – Looking forward to, uh, or, or getting the bug for command. Right. I'm sure he's had in the past too, but now, especially with that comment that uh, Marcus, Marcus B, Marcus, uh, mentioning that, that kind of makes him. You know, it was almost like a Riker moment. Like Deanna, what am I still doing here on the Enterprise? You know, kind of like a, you know, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's time to, uh, you know, sit down in the big chair. So, I thought well, it was kind of cool. Okay. As we know, this is not the first time he's thought that. Uh, I think there was a scene in Star Trek Four, which delved into that that uh, supposedly Shatner flubbed the lines purposely, and they supposedly. didn't get to use. Right, but yeah. So well, but and I don't know the exact nature of that, but I heard about that scene too. And was that where he actually got his command, and it was congratulations time? I, I really don't it... know. I don't know if it was supposed to be Star Trek Four, Star Trek Five, but supposedly was it... it was one of those two. Exactly. Where supposedly, you know, Sula was getting the the, the limelight instead of Captain Kirk, and uh, supposedly Shatner supposedly messed up the lines permanent pur- purposely. And this right. was something that uh, George Takei had stated, right? That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have never known George to be a liar. But Not in all the times I've met him. I mean, exactly. I mean, <laughs> look at all the years we've spent with George. Never. Anyways. So did you happen to notice how they do light in the future when you're out on the street? Do light. Let me look. So we were talking about? Uh, you know, street lights instead of street lights. Oh, like the little glowing orbs? Exactly, they're kind of floating around. You know, at the t- when I was reading it, I didn't catch that. I thought I was, you know, maybe in Star Wars mode, and I'm just used to seeing little droids <laughs> flying around. But yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, they 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 kind of look like little Yu-Gi-Oh balls, or they look like, uh, you know, the, the, those automated things you you practice your lightsaber work with. Right. But, uh, yeah, they're just floating around, and you can see it's giving off light. So who needs street lights? Right, and you could see them all over different heights just floating around. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting because I agree the same thing. When I read through this the first time, I did not notice those, those at all. Not at all. And then as as you're reading, 
uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of going through the through the artwork, and it's like, what what the heck? Oh, oh, cool. So those <laughs> are the street lights. Huh. Didn't notice the first time. That's funny. Yeah. And then they go to the pub after they see those street lights, and yeah. they meet Lando Calrissian. I mean, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Marcus B. Come on, that that guy is Lando. He's so suave. I must say. So who has the lower voice? Marcus B, Lando Calrissian, or George Decay? <laughs> I I say George, personally. But... Oh, well, that'd be funny, the three of them in, a, in an elevator. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Lando. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah. Did, did you not did you were you getting the Lando Calrissian vibe there too? Uh now I am, now that you mention it. I, I did I did not think Lando. Although the outfit was now that you mention it, it is rather Lando Calrissian ish. Right. Although it is green, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean he's just and, and he's such got, a flatterer. Yeah, and he's got the facial hair, <laughs> you know. The, the 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 little chin thing going. You know, this guy uh you know. He's into, uh, you know, maintaining the facial hair. Right. Even though he's kind of losing it up top. Looks like he has a little bit of a receding hairline there. A little bit. A little bit. Which you think they're going to have a cure for by the time we get to the 23rd, 24th century. Well, maybe he has a, um, an allergy to the Super Future Rogaine. <laughs> so does Picard. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or wasn't the idea about Picard that... Uh, that oh, he just doesn't care. Right. It's He's not that vain. He's that cool a guy. He he does look pretty damn good with that bald head. Yes. Can't, I can't imagine Patrick Stewart with hair. That's just... Uh, well, I did actually see a picture of him, like, like doing Shakespeare or something, you know, acting when he was young, and he, he still had hair. Right. And it was weird. Well, when I was a little kid, we used to, we used to, you know, how you... When VCRs first came out, you would record whatever came on TV and then, you know, watch it over and over and over again because that was all you had. But uh, we record a show off of the Disney Channel, uh, and it was called the Canterbury Ghost or something like that. Canterbury? Canterbury? I can't remember. I think think it had – it was pronounced a little differently. It was a kid's show, but I remember watching it as a kid, and then recently I found out that – that was Patrick Stewart. And now oh. I'm like, I got to watch that again. Cause... He was in that show? Yeah, he was the ghost. No way. Really? That's uh, amazing. Yeah. So I need to go back and watch it because I didn't, you know, as a little kid, I never put two and two together because I didn't watch them at the same time. I watched one when I was really young. And then Next Generation, I watched when I was older. But now I need to look to see if it's on Netflix or something. Interesting. That's what IMDb does. Just says, hey, you remember that show you watched? You don't know nothing. <laughs> so you looked it up on IMDb? I can't remember how I found out. I think I was just looking up something that had Pat, or I was something, it was an article about Patrick Stewart, and at the bottom it said, you know, had like little advertisements for his other movies. It had like Patrick, uh, I think probably X Men, and then the, the ghost one, and I was like, no way. Oh, cool. Anyway, I, I see a couple Canterville ghosts, and of course they're, 
Yeah, I see a lot of Canterville ghosts. Hmm. Are you 1944 on IMT? film, Canterville Ghost TV, 1985, Canterville Ghost TV, 1987, 1944. Well, 80s wouldn't have been uh, Patrick Stewart, would it? Maybe. I mean, the TV show started, or Next Generation started in 87. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I, I, another thing I have to look up at later, after the show. Anyway. All right. So, uh, did you notice how Vicky's hair turns white for one panel on page six, then back to yellow again? I did not. Let me look. Because I love coloring mistakes. <laughs> Let's uh, see, page six. Oh, yeah, when it shows the back of her head, she right. is very gray. Yeah, and then, pop, back to blonde. That's amazing hair dye. Yeah, I, the one that, the, the mistake that I noticed, which is just the next page on yes. page eight, was uh, Sulu and Ahura's conversation on that last panel. I think some word balloons get a little mixed up. Oh, interesting. I love when that happens. She asks him, have you ever worked here? And then he says, one summer, my feet never forgave me. How about you? And then Sulu also says, actually, I was one of the kids singing uh, who sang. And I'm like, what? So he asks the question, and then he also answers it. Good point. Huh. Cool. I I, I hate when that happens. And I hate even more when I don't notice it. I just keep on going. <laughs> well, it threw me off because I was like, well, why is he saying that? And then I was like, oh, okay. Exactly. Cool. And then they make reference to her singing in the next page when Lando shows up. <laughs> Mr. Smooth as Silk Lando. Right. I.E. Marcus B. <laughs> um, now, so- okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, just something about Lando is how... Um, he is ex-Starfleet, so he was in Starfleet for a couple of years, and then he decides, you know what, going out and having adventures across the galaxy, eh, or the quadrant at least, is not, uh, yeah, it's just not me. I want to go back and start all over again in a bar and work my way up to own the place. It's like, really? Okay. But it's kind of like, eh, okay, that's actually kind of nice. Because, you know, most people you meet in the Star Trek universe, uh, well, a lot of stuff takes place on the ships uh, and out in space. So that's mostly you meet Starfleet people. But, you know, that's kind of cool showing somebody, well, maybe Starfleet isn't the only way to go, you know. Right. Kind of like Wesley. I mean, you thought Wesley was going to be, oh, another captain, you know, whatever. But uh, it sure didn't turn out that way. So it's kind of nice to throw uh, things like that in there to kind of uh, underscore the infinite diversity of mankind. <laughs> so you didn't think that that stuff was just filler? Oh. Uh, well, I found it interesting. So, I mean, did, did it stretch things out a bit? Did it give O'Hara a chance to do something, uh, including singing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't need that necessarily. Right. They gave her a chance to do something. Okay. But you thought it was filler, the whole thing. Uh, no, I, I enjoyed it all except for the page where they're talking about the music and then... Uh, and then... She gets up and sings. I didn't even mind the singing. It was just her whining about the 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 
quote unquote oh, um, elevator music elevator music and how yeah. she used to sing here with old oh, jazz great blah 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 and it was just like <laughs> that part just felt a little uh like filler yeah yeah this is going too far i don't need right. to know this much can we get down to the story please thank you right well it's like some of the, the some of the Chekhov stuff you know trying to get in the way of sulu and nina it's like some of that stuff is like ah. Right about that, so and it was actually the the Canterville Ghost. I just pulled it up. It well, says nineteen ninety six, but yeah, that's that's the first thing I thought it was when you first mentioned it. The Canterville Ghost. Yeah. Uh, or did I say Canterbury? I think I said Canterbury. You're right. I think I said Canterbury. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. There's a, there's a ton of entries for Canterville Ghost in movies and TV shows. Uh, that comes up on Google. Well, IMDb says this came out in 1996, but I think it's older than that. Yeah, I see a entry for 1996. Uh huh. Uh huh. Anyway, oh my God! Like... And that is that that is Picard. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. And oh, it's got Neve Campbell in it. Right. Huh. From Scream. But yeah, and uh. uh... The TV show that they were in, whatever it was. Oh, Neve Campbell was? Yeah, the one that got her start, her and the Ghost Whisperer girl. Oh, they started on a TV series together? Okay. I didn't, I really haven't really followed her career that much. Cool. Anyway, I don't know what it was. But I can find out if I click on Neve Campbell. Don't do it. Don't do it. So was it like 90210 or something? It was kind of like that. Something like that. Oh, she was in Wow Things? Oh, I didn't know that. I like yes, that one. She was the girl that made well, out one with, of the two. with Denise Richards. Yeah. Well, I really didn't notice her that much. I was too busy looking at Denise Richards. Okay. If I remember correctly, during Wild Things, uh, during the uh, the intimate scene, she had a body double and Denise Richards did not. She didn't need it. Denise. I don't I don't think she. I don't Humana. think she needed Humana. it either. She just. Humana. She was a big enough star at that time that she said, um, "I don't not, need to. I'm not going to get naked for this movie, but I'll be in it." Oh, okay. Where Denise Richards at the time did not have that kind of clout. Bring it on! Bring it on! Okay, so she was in Party of Five. Party of Five. That was it. I knew it had a number in it. I I never knew. Hmm. All right. Okay. Um, what else you got? Because I I think I'm done. I think I've mentioned everything. Okay. Uh, we already talked about Sula getting the bug about being a captain. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the Romulans turn out to be the likely bad guys. Possible bad guys. Exactly. We don't know for sure yet. Uh, I always like Romulans. They're they're pretty nasty people. Okay. We always talk about Vicky's sleeping outfit. Nice. And yeah, that's about it. That's all I got. All right. So let's see where the story takes us. Shall we? In the next issue, titled Secrets. Issue number 27. Published date, January 1992. We're into a new year. Again, Howard Weinstein, but the penciler in this one is Brandon Peterson. Everybody else is the same, so I'm not going to say it again. Synopsis. The cover shows Spock, Sulu, McCoy, and an attractive red-haired girl looking down in surprise at a hand coming up from the ground with black drips of liquid, which is probably blood. The hand is pointing to their right, and appears to belong to a dying woman. 
the scene looks like it's taking place in a creepy old graveyard. <laughs> Kirk and Vicky are traveling in a small ship to Pilcor 3. They have departed the Enterprise earlier. They are catching up on old times, and Kirk offers to help her if she ever wants to get back into uniform and fly a starship again. As they come on approach for landing, they have a welcome committee made up of two security guards with their weapons drawn and Minister Pitkamani. As Kirk and Vicky exit the shuttle, the minister orders the guards to advance on them. She says Kirk is not wanted here. Vicky sternly states Kirk is Tread's heir, her husband, and they are staying. The rude venomous minister does everything she can to make Kirk feel unwelcome and matter-of-factly tells him Pilcor is an insular society that he will not find pleasant. After plenty of back and forth, Vicky states they came first to the legal affairs ministry as a courtesy, but they are now on their way home. The minister states that they are free to go for now. As they fly to their mansion, they pass over only a small part of the 200-kilometer estate. When they arrive at the insanely huge 75-room mansion, all Kirk can say is, wow. On the Enterprise, Chekhov and Uhura share a turbo lift to the bridge where Chekhov states he has not seen much of Nina since she is spending most of her time with Sulu. Uhura detects that is troubling Chekhov. On the bridge, Spock asks Uhura to investigate the weak distress call they have been receiving for a while. It appears to be from a considerable distance. Uhura starts searching for the source. Back in the Kirk mansion, Vicky is looking over Kirk's shoulder at a computer monitor. Kirk found files Tread had hidden by using some old dirty jokes Kirk and Tread had traded in the old days. Kirk declined to tell Vicky the joke and they started looking through the files in a very chummy way. Vicky is definitely falling for the old Kirk mojo, or so it appears. On the Enterprise, Uhura finds the source of the signal as being in a star system 87 parsecs beyond Pilcor. Unfortunately, no Federation exploration teams have mapped the area, and so they know nothing of it. A coded transmission from Kirk arrives at the Enterprise. Kirk tells Spock of the secret files and how they refer to the secret project quest that will establish colonies secretly on planets in the outskirts of the sector. No exact locations are given, unfortunately. No explanations why they would do such a thing in secret that clearly goes against their public planetary policy. It does make vague references to a major power hostile to the Federation, but does not call out the Romulans specifically. They decide to check out the distress signal, and Kirk departs in the shuttle to join Spock on the Enterprise. Vicky stays behind to man the mansion, but not before fireworks go off between her and Kirk. Later in the Ministry building, Vicky is informing Minister Pitkamani that Kirk took the bait, and the Enterprise is on its way to where the minister wants them to be. Vicky says she kept her end of the bargain, and asks when the minister will keep her end. The minister says her end is not kept yet, 
but says if she'd like to make a complaint, it could be done. Vicky says that she will wait. As Vicky leaves the building, she asks herself in shame, what have I done? On the Enterprise, Nina and Sulu are doing some heavy necking in his quarters. Oogie. It's their first private date, and Sulu is preparing a Japanese dinner. Chekhov is at the door, interrupting their evening, claiming he's returning a music disc to Sulu. Chekhov's attempts to disrupt the romantic evening are interrupted when, over the intercom, Sulu and Nina are ordered to Transporter 1 for landing party duty. All Chekhov can say is, I swear I had nothing to do with it. On the planet, they find a colony in ruins. Sulu finds a survivor under heavy building rubble. When they clear it off, Nina tends to her wounds. The survivor wakes up and is happy to see the help. She is gratified, or she is grateful to Sulu and Nina, but when she sees Spock, she states, He attacked them. Soldiers that look like Spock. There's no doubt about it, they were Romulans. After Sulu, Nina, and the sole survivor are beamed up, McCoy and Spock are left on the smoldering surface to conjecture as to what is going on. McCoy states they suspected Pilkerin, the Pilkerin government and the Romulans to be in league, but since the Romulans attacked the secret Pilkerin colony, maybe not. Spock mentions the reported Romulan military maneuvers near the neutral zone that may indicate a prelude to a new round of Romulan expansion and war. To be continued. So the cover, that does not look like Chekhov's niece. No. She is cute, though. She looks cute. She's cute, but just doesn't look quite like her. No. Th- that girl looks more like the the girl that was on the cover of 25. The first cover. Right. The one right. in the blue jacket. Right. So I wonder why they decided to not put her in uniform, but eh, whatever. On that first cover. Right. So you didn't mention in the synopsis, but... Uh, what do the Pilcorans pil- look like to you? Aha! <laughs> I did not mention that because I have a big fat stinking note. They look like Cardassians, except that they've got pink skin and they got fewer facial ridges. Right, they don't have the spoon on the nose. Oh, on the oh well, yeah. Okay, I thought I thought the spoon was more close to the forehead or something, but okay, yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. But still, they missing yeah, they're missing right the, the spoon nose. and they're missing the the neck ridges. But aside from that, they are exactly like the Cardassians. Exactly. So I was back and forth as I was reading this issue after I saw what they look like. The minister in particular, who is a nasty woman, uh, as Cardassians are. Cardassians are nasty, and I was just the whole time I was thinking. Yeah, is is this some kind of Cardassian prelude origin story or something? I don't know, because I don't remember ever hearing Cardassians ever in uh, the original series. No. But uh, it's like Pilkerin, Cardassian, probably not. No, but they obviously, the it's just a big coincidence that the makeup looks so much like yeah. this, these pictures. Are they trying to say they were an offshoot or something, or they just couldn't come up with a uh, a newer alien race to do? If 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 you're asking me for my opinion, I'm sure. I think it's just a coincidence. Okay, yeah, that's probably what it is. 
But it's a big coincidence because it, it looks like it. Well, it's that ridge all around the outside, the outside of the eyes down around the cheekbones. I mean, that's like dead ringer Cardassian. But... Right. Anyway. Yeah, we talked about uh, Oogie, and uh, <laughs> it gets Oogie here when they're necking, Sulu and Nina. Yeah, I guess she really likes him. Yeah, yeah, which is nice. That's nice. I mean, you know, a lot of times you have really old guys marrying really hot young women, and it's usually because they're rich. I mean, at least that, at least that's not going on. <laughs> okay. What? I, I guess you're right. I, I think I am. She's not. She's not. Mar- she's not with him for his money. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Maybe she's got a father complex or something. Anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, but, you know, hasn't Kirk made some moves on some pretty young ladies, too? Like, for example, yeah. uh, you know, how old was Kirk compared to McCoy's daughter when he was making the moves on her? Hmm? Yeah, we don't talk about that. Oh, I do. <laughs> that was kind of oogie. It, that was really, really oogie. Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I, I like the book overall. I thought it was good. Uh, were you surprised about uh, Vicky being in league with that nasty Pilkrin? I'll be honest. I was surprised. I was surprised, too. They, I didn't see that coming. No, usually they, they're kind of heavy-handed on stuff like that, but I will right. admit that that one caught me off guard. Yeah. And what's the second thing that caught you off guard? Because there was uh, a second thing, I know. Uh, aside from that one? Yes. No, I don't remember. Okay, well, here's what I what, what caught me off guard. I completely thought that when Kirk was sent there by the machinations of the minister, uh-huh. it's because they intended to pin that attack on the Enterprise and the Federation. That's what I thought was going to happen. So they go there, big warship, shouldn't be there, close to the neutral zone, they attack the Pilkerin uh, colony, and they're going to somehow pin it on them, and that's going to be the problem. But when it was obvious that there was a survivor, and the survivor saw that it was uh, somebody that looks like Spock, which is another comment I want to make about them not knowing what a Romulan is, um, you know, that was like, oh, okay. And now it looks like, you know... We have a common enemy in the uh, in the Romulans. I mean, uh, the Pilgrim and, and the Federation, which I wasn't expecting that either. <laughs> I, I still don't think I, I, I'm waiting for the the other shoe to drop. The other shoe to drop on that one. I, exactly. I don't think it's the Romulans, but we'll see. So okay, so well, let's let's talk let's talk this out, shall we? Just a little bit. I don't want this to take too long, but I am kind of interested. Um, Obviously, there's a plan going on here with the minister and the Pilkrin government. So, are you trying to say that they're trying to pit the Federation against the Romulan Empire? Maybe? Maybe, yeah. I think that the uh, the Pilkrin actually want to... Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly it. I want <laughs> that they're trying to get them to fight each other, and then they're actually going to somehow... Benefit you know, somehow. Take land from both sides, not just the Federation side. Well, okay. And I don't and even I, know if they have to take land I, because I, it's I don't know how that's going to happen. Space. Well, it seems like they got this little wedge of space, you know, between the two uh, mighty powers. Right. And 
and they seem to have a lot of space in that space. I mean, at least 87 parsecs, you know, and, and more probably. And um, they got planets they could colonize if they wanted to, but supposedly they're not. So, I mean, I originally thought it was back in the early days, 30 years ago, when they looked like they were on the verge of going over to the, the Federation, that the Romulans had something going on where they were able to manipulate and get isolationists into power that were their puppets, or at least oh, okay. in league somehow. That's what I thought. And then, and then, and, and so if they're in league the whole time, and now they're secretly trying to expand, it's like, well, that must be in sync with what the Romulans want. But why would the Romulans want them to expand unless the Pilkrins are expanding as a joint partner? So they're going to come over or, you know, they're going to align themselves fully, not be isolationists, but be fully aligned with the Romulans now. But now they're supposedly attacking uh, Pilkerin secret colonies. I don't know. It's it's a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that they really – I don't think it was the Romulans that did the attacking. I think that little girl is in on it. Could be. Could be. Hmm. But well, I, I'm I'm just I, making stuff up. I have no. And no what's idea. cool is, and uh, hats off to you. I mean, there may be folks at home that uh, that that have all this all figured out. Uh, I don't know. Um, but because they read it is, 20 years ago. Well, that's not that's not figuring <laughs> it out. That's remembering it. But okay. but I think Weinstein has a a nice little story here going. Oh, I I think so. I I'm enjoying this one a lot. Yeah. This is this is almost like a little mystery. So. Uh, I like it. And it's not obvious. It's not like one of those, you know, easy to figure out, hit you over the head with it kind of mysteries. So I think it's pretty cool. Yep. I'm I'm looking forward to the next issue, yeah. which I'll admit has not uh, – a lot of these continuations, I, I haven't felt like, oh, I really need to find out what's going on next. Right. But this one I am actually curious on. Yeah. And my hat will be really off to him if the next issue uh, has a good conclusion. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, they have a really great build-up and then the ending kind of falls flat. Right. So, so bring home a good conclusion to this one, and uh, I am impressed, Mr. Weinstein. <laughs> okay, I like Tread's office and his desk that Kirk is working at. Pretty cool. Quite opulent. Uh, that's, a ha- that's a heck of a desk. Well, it's a heck of a house. Yeah. But and, let me look uh, at the desk in, in particular because I don't really remember it it, it looks kind of like a huge timpani drum oh yeah 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 kind of with a big giant monitor on it that was my second that's the second half of my comment (laughs) here we go again with a 19 uh late 80s early 90s era look uh computer apparatus you know yeah, I just want to know how Kirk was able to use some joke to decipher the the files. Right. I mean, was I, that the password? The password is the password uh, of the joke? I, I don't know. There once was a man from Nantucket, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> but you'll notice that he Kirk didn't tell her the joke. 
No, and it was weird because she said, I'm not as innocent as I used to be. I might get it now. And he's like, yeah, that's why I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, but I think he was just being a gentleman. However, if it turns out that there's more information inside those files, and if when he unlocked them, uh, they were not left unlocked, uh, as it turns out, that was a good thing he didn't tell her the joke. But really, uh, who knows if there's anything else more there. That would have been useful to anybody. Right. I mean, the one thing is now, in addition to whatever setup the minister wanted to do to get the Enterprise and Kirk off to this uh, this colony planet, if they also wanted to know what was in Tread's uh, secret archives, they got a better idea now from uh, from the turncoat wife. Yeah, I keep waiting for. I'm pretty sure they're going to say that she planted whatever evidence he found, but it is odd that they haven't given us any clue as to what that is yet. Oh, what, his secret files? Right. Yeah, I don't think they are really secret. I think I, – I keep waiting for her to – you know, that she's – she being the minister is, is, you know, orchestrating all of this. Right, but – yeah, okay. And i got to ask, how did any of them, minister or her, uh, Vicky, uh, know about the jokes that, that, that Tread and, and Kirk would have known about? Well, I don't think Tread's dead, for one. Oh, that would be a revelation, wouldn't it? I think so, I think Tread is is is, is alive and in being prison or somewhere. Right? Could be, could be. But then it, again, I yeah, I don't know why they would need Kurt. We'll see. Well, they, maybe that's the le- ultimately that's the leverage the minister has over her. They've taken Tread and threatened his life if she didn't go along with this. But then, why would they have? Why would they need Kirk? Uh, I think they want to draw the Federation into oh into uh, a conflict with the Romulans. Into, it, well, they yeah. Well, whatever they did, they wanted a starship at that planet. Whether it was to draw them into war with the with the Romulans or what, I don't know. But mm. they need to get a starship, and Kirk is a starship, and those two know Kirk. So I don't know. Anyways, I don't know. that's what I. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a tapestry of deceit, <laughs> and we have to wait two weeks to find out what happens. Ah, uh, well, I don't, but and <laughs> <Anybody laughs> the comics don't. <laughs> well, you're gonna cheat and read ahead. Of course, I am. Not cool, dude. Not cool, dude. What do you mean? We start prepping for this days ahead of time. Days. <laughs> okay. Anyways, what uh... do what? While you're looking up your other stuff, what do you think about the weird picture on 12 with her laughing about the joke? And it takes up like almost the whole page, this weird angle of her yeah, laughing. Right. Yeah, I um, didn't care for that, that, that bit of artwork. Well, I, I, I got something out of that. Uh, and I am trying to, unfortunately, my, my, my great new pe- uh, reader here. Is not scrolling well. Um, so I'm trying to get to the page. I I thought it was overdone, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Like, fake. It was, uh... Let me see. Leave it to my husband to arrange his computer files according to a dirty joke. Right. Yeah, I think it was... I think it was overdone. And I think there's been a lot 
of bits of her behavior that's been a bit overdone because they were not real. Okay. Overacting. Right. Yeah, I thought she was overdressed at the um, at the academy party. I think she was overly sexy that next morning, uh, and and she seems to be like fawning over Kirk a lot. And I think that's all part of trying to manipulate Kirk into doing the things uh, the minister wants him to do. So you don't think she's just falling into, I need to play the wife character because I'm now his wife? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, what? I'm with you. I get you. Well, you know, at first, you know, be- before I had this revelation, because it took me off guard, I thought she was just, like I said in the synopsis, she's digging the Kirk mojo. Um, but... Now that I think back on the whole thing, I mean, she was trying to manipulate Kirk into doing, you know, what she wanted to do, including get him to come back. And she did everything she could, uh, or did multiple things anyway, including being sexually appealing. Yeah, I get you. And it's weird that he's not taking advantage of it, because he usually does. Well, he usually does, but um, maybe in the end, because he'll find out about her duplicity, it'll make him look a little bit less the fool if he's not uh, going for it up front. Right. So, and in the end, I'm sure she'll go ahead and tell him. Uh, I mean, they showed her at the end of this where she's really feeling bad about her duplicity. I mean, it's not like she's really a bad person. She's being forced to do this. And it's uh, and it's getting to her, right? So, and uh, good point about him tread pro- probably being alive. That's probably the leverage the minister's using. Oh, that's not what you were thinking. I I, I wasn't thinking that, but I probably should have. I was thinking he uh, tread was dead, and and that for her to hold on to her estate or for her to still be there, whatever, she had a knuckle under to what they wanted, you know. With Tread gone, she didn't have a lot of leverage in that society anymore. But yeah. uh, what you're talking about makes more sense. Yeah, Tread's I can see it going alive. either way. Yeah. Okay, that's all I have to say. All right, cool. All right, so uh, there wasn't a lot of expanded universe stuff this these three months. Um, the big thing, obviously, was that... Um, he, uh, Star Trek Six came out. Big thing. And then the only other thing that came out... Oh, and Star Trek Six, the um, the book and novelization and all that other good stuff that went along with it. Um, I think there was only one novel that came out these three months. And it was called... What? Spartacus? Spartacus! Spartacus! It's called what? Spartacus! Which we didn't make enough jokes last week in the annual where everybody was saying, I, I did, I stole the, the test, I stole the test. I did it, I did it. Because that was a very Spartacus moment. <laughs> it was a very Spartacus moment. So, so but anyways. this one, yeah, so this one is actually titled Spartacus, not because somehow Spart- Spartacus comes back from the past, but because a very Sp- a Spartacusian kind of thing goes on, but in, a, uh, in an alien race. So, uh, the Enterprise answers a distress call. And, and this finds... is the Enterprise D. I, I, Enterprise I, I D, yeah, this is didn't next mention gen. that it was next gen. Yeah, if you look at the cover, it's got Data and Riker on the cover, and a guy that looks like, well, 
that new TV show, or I guess it's not that new anymore, but that cable TV show, Spartacus, looks like one of those guys on the cover. Um, so anyway, the uh, Enterprise and Picard and the boys and ladies uh, respond to a distress call, and they find a damaged alien vessel that they agree to help repair from a race known as the Vemlins. Then eventually, as Picard and company are trying to fix the vessel, a whole fleet of Vemlin vessels arrive, and they say that Jared, the captain of the uh, damaged ship, and his crew are all escaped slaves, and and therefore are their property, and tells Picard to, to beat it. And uh, don't stand in the way of them taking back their slaves. And then Picard has to figure out uh, to protect those people. Uh, or does he actually try to take on this whole fleet of vessels? So that is the storyline. Hmm. Well, knowing Picard, I'm sure he just gives them the slaves and goes on to the next planet, right? Because he doesn't like to get involved. Hey, man, you better watch out. Because definitely, the, uh, uh, as they're describing it here, the, uh, the prime directive is at issue also here, as it always is. What a pain that thing is. But come on. Come on. So, so basically, this guy is trying to be. These guys are trying to be free. They've even named their ship F- the Freedom. And so, of course, Picard wants to help. Uh, I mean, nobody likes slavery, uh, except apparently these uh, these Vemlins or Vem- Vemla. These people from Vemla. Right. Anyway, so it sounds like a, a, an interesting show uh, or a book, but uh, you know, trying yeah. to grab uh, a little. A little Spartacus retread. I don't know. It, it, I wonder if those guys really are dressed up like a gladiator or if that was just it's something the they put on the cover to get people to buy it. It's the cover. Right. I, I can bet you they're not. But mm. I, I certainly hope not anyway. Uh, but it did got it did get four stars on, uh, on Amazon, four out of five. Oh, really? Wow. With 14 customer reviews. Yeah, it's not too bad for a yeah. mass media um, Star Trek novel. Indeed, not bad at all. Because I'm looking at some of the other mass media Star Trek novels they've got here at Amazon, and it goes anywhere from two and a half stars. Uh, but this one's a, there's a, there's one for a, with a four and a half. Hmm. Well, some of them are written by Peter David, so they have to be good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, here here's a novel by Howard Weinstein. Yeah, Perchance right. to Dream. That's a next gen story. Cool. Yeah, he, he he wrote quite a bit. Same with Michael Jan Friedman. Yeah. Oh, and actually, okay, so they're showing one, two, three, four, five, six. So they're showing seven different novels, uh, additional Star Trek novels you could pick from, and two of them are by Howard Weinstein. Well, I'm sure we'll get to those eventually. And one is by Peter David. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Amazon. Thanks. <laughs> appreciate it, Amazon. We appreciate that. Because uh, I guess it was uh, not the easiest thing to find uh, what that story was about. Yeah, for whatever reason, every time I clicked uh, Spartacus, it would take me to uh, the character Spartacus, not the book Spartacus. So. Right, right. So, anyways, thanks, Ken. So, uh, I guess we'll get back next week, and we'll talk about Next Generation, issue numbers 25, 26, and 27. Looking forward to it. So, see you next time on Star Trek. Comic Book Review with Donovan again. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. 
All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.